listen, I'm not like big on Ohio geography, Continuity. but I'm from the area. So it's like when Neil deGrasse Tyson starts breaking down all the fake science and space movies. DJ, just let it go. Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good to begin with. My name is DJ. Hi, I am Damon Boy. Damon Boy, I'm see? DJ Boy. I have a confession. Yeah, okay. From the year that this came out until now, until now, yeah. you can draw a graph of a percentage of how much of my personal dialogue comes from this movie it's gonna start higher it's gonna start at like 80 percent, and now it's probably down to like 30 percent. but this is still a very extremely important formative movie for my vocabulary now aside from fat guy in a little coat which may not even be from this chris farley movie it is what quotes from tommy boys are in this tommy boys that's the sequel you know what i want to save it for a quote roundup yeah you're absolutely right I'd hate to ruin it now. I can give you a couple. Give me a sousson of quotes <laughs> from Tommy Boy, please. <laughs> We're going to do a lot of dumb stuff. Wait till Christmas. <laughs> Is that a quote? That's a quote. Okay. Of course, on the spot, I'm going to fail. There's, oh man. Okay. Now, now I'm embarrassed. You're embarrassing. You've never seen Tommy Boy. Damon, don't embarrass me. <laughs> when he, he has his luggage is just like a trash bag taped up. And then David Spade has, oh, this has to be you. You can do that <laughs> in so many different scenarios. <laughs> David Spade is very funny in this movie. This is mm-hmm. like his perfect role. David Spade, I enjoy him, his comedy generally. He's not, I don't think his best role is as like the main character. He's got to be, he can be a featured character, but he needs to be a side character. And this was a so perfect you think, one. like Grown Ups too. that's probably his his peak that was like the 1927 Yankees. You got all those people <laughs> firing on all get, cylinders. I don't even get the reference, but it had the cadence of a joke. <laughs> you laughed like you got it. I know. Well, it was just so specific. I like it when things are very specific, even if I don't understand the specificity. You could have said any year, past or future, and I would have laughed just I'm as just going to start making up references and see if you laugh. <laughs> I'm going to be like... If it's in the sports world, it will always work. The dryer's done. I don't know if you hear that. I do. Thank you. Thank God. (laughs) You're like Tim Reichman when he was on the LA Kings. Am I right? High five. (laughs) Oh, you skewered me good. That's a made up name, by the way. (laughs) I figured because you had a weird pause about it. I feel like... I really liked David Spade when he was on SNL. And mm-hmm. I feel like the roles he tended to play were these type of snarky. fastidious, one yeah. might say, fastidious, sarcastic, mm-hmm. snarky mm-hmm. type roles. And then his own personality started coming out. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't like you as like sort of a creepy, lecherous, ladies man-esque. That doesn't jibe with my David Spade. Yeah, He used to do like... On SNL, on the weekend update, he used to do like the Hollywood Roundup, where he would do like celebrity news. What I'm saying is that SNL David Spade was coded as queer. And then after he came out, after he got out of SNL, he came out as as straight. Straight, (laughs) And it really hurt my feelings, if I'm being honest. (laughs) 
SNL David Spade, though, canonically queer. You've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that kind of makes sense because, you know, he was put into that role. You know, it was a don't ask, don't tell era of comedy. <laughs> so True. it makes sense. Yeah, because I actually do celebrate Joe Dirt as well. Not, I wouldn't say it's at the level of, of this movie for me. Personally. I've never seen Joe Dirt, but I have heard I should see it. We should by watch other it for heterosexual the, men, I would add. Yeah. We should watch it for the show because I honestly don't know how how that one's gonna hold up. This one I basically have the whole movie memorized, so I have a good idea of how it's gonna hold up, which I think is I think it's gonna hold up pretty well. Maybe not perfectly. I think there are gonna be some stinkers, but generally think Joe Dirt is like mm. but I do think that was to me like the end of David Spade being my speed. I'm sure right. Go do what you want to do, David Spade. But Did he do after Joe Dirt? I mean, was there more? Was I mean, there a movie where he was a former child star? Yeah. Was it Dickie Roberts? Maybe. Something like that. And then he had a show for yeah. a while. That was pretty On recently. Comedy Central? That was not that long ago, right? That was like- Yeah, it's. I think, yeah. Within 10 years. YouTube's like tried to foist clips of that on me, but it's that it's a very specific type of late 90s comedian that always seems to be the guest. And it's like, you just got your friends, Adam Carolla was free, and so you had him on. And then, yeah, it's always like this right of center, snarky, sarcastic sounding guys. And it's all the same guys like Colin Quinn. I'm just asking Adam questions Carolla. over here. Yeah, that it's sort like, of yeah, shit. You know, this used to be charming until so many people were asking questions. Too many questions, one might say. <laughs> and you're not interested in any answers. You're just interested in asking your fucking questions. To be Having fair. Jordan Peterson on. <laughs> to be fair, they did say, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> what you heard, though, was, I'm just asking questions. What I heard was, I'm looking answers. for information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what they said. And it's not what they meant. How do you feel about Chris Farley? Let's get to the man of the hour. <laughs> I, I liked Chris Farley. I remember he has an energy, like a very chaotic energy that pushed me away, but there was like a weird teddy bearness that drew me back in. Yeah. I remember, I mean, <laughs> we saw that list recently where the guy from Bojack Horseman was listing the best shows ever, and yeah. he did it very like meta, and one of the shows was the SNL from your childhood was one right. of his lists. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I feel about, I mean, I have a lot of affinity for these guys because I watched, because I fell in love with SNL in the mid-90s, and then yeah. in the late 90s, I was like, this show sucks! Right. But Chris Farley is very charming. I remember almost pissing my pants to Matt Foley. It's a good bit. Man, he fell through that table. He fell through the table real good. And then I saw my second Matt Foley skin. I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like the last one. And then I thought, saw my third one. I was like, oh, I understand sketch comedy now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a beat on it. <laughs> no, but I like Chris Farley fine. I was never like gung-ho about him. And I think I liked him more on SNL than I do in his movies. Because they were all this, right? They were always him being paired with a straight man and just falling face first into dog shit or something. Yeah. I remember mean, that movie, Face First and Dog Shit? That also <laughs> was him and Matthew Perry, I think. <laughs> yeah. The physical comedy world is not my favorite in general, but something about Chris Farley works for me. It is, you know, he's participating in it, but it is generally fat phobic. And so there's some grossness <laughs> with it uh -huh. that didn't age well as we kind of all grew up and went, I don't know about all that. And it does feel a little bit like, especially with the tragic end of his story being like, you know, playing the clown. Yeah. He can't be serious because he's overweight. So no one 
overweight can be serious, you know, that whole thing. And I think there is some serious stuff in there, but there's something about, I just, he's very funny (laughs) and it works for me. And this movie, I think is, it's one of those that's kind of like, this is the one for me. Like it works really well. He kept going for a little while because he had Black Sheep, which I also enjoyed, but it just felt like Tommy Boy Light to me. Right. And then what was the one? Wagons East? Was that the... No, that's the one with John Candy, but it's similar. It's also Frontiersman. That's the one with Matthew Perry, but I can't remember what it's called. Peter, Paul, and Mary or something. It's uh, Lewis and Clark go berserk. I don't remember what it's called. And not many other people would. They keep getting like successively kind of worse. Yeah. And don't forget Beverly Hills Ninja. Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah. I think that was the third one. That was before. Yeah, maybe. And each one. Okay. Oh, you're being transported to your youth. We were talking so much about being a teen that my voice cracked. Each one kind of successively worked less and less for me. But this one is just, for me, it's like all firing on all cylinders. We got some Rob Lowe. We got Brian Dennehy. We got a Bo Derek. Yeah. Rob Lowe out of the box SNL movie villain. I yes. like that. Just warm him up. He's ready to go. Bo Derek, Brian Dennehy, the late Brian Dennehy. I wanted to say one thing about Chris Farley, though, before we moved on from him. If I had to choose between the SNL cast member who talks quietly and then starts screaming, between him and Adam Sandler, I would go with Chris Farley every time. Yeah. Every yeah. time. I mean, I did enjoy some Adam Sandler as well. I think partially because he didn't. And die young like Chris Farley did. <laughs> he stuck around a bit longer, enough for me to be like, okay, I'm done with this. But then he would do something, a serious role, and you're like, oh, okay. He'll and do he, a serious role every 15 years, and you're like, maybe. And then he'll just do another movie where it's obvious he's just on vacation and they filmed it. And I'm like, oh. It's the classic yeah, Hollywood rule. Kind of a piece One of for shit. you, 14 for me. <laughs> did you, you've never seen this at all? I have seen this. Okay. I've seen this and Black Sheep, but they blur together, and I really have no memories of either of them. Is this the one where they question the pronunciation of the word rural, or is that Black Sheep? You're thinking of the word road, and that is Black Sheep. Rowed. Rowed. No, it's road. <laughs> and then the deer like in the back seat, is that this one? That's this movie. Okay. Yeah. Car Factory is this one. Politics yeah. is the other one. How can yes. you mess them up? Sometimes I do think of Chris Farley at the rock the vote scene in the climax of Black Sheep screaming, kill Whitey. And it just brings a little smile to my face each time. Yeah. Because he gets so energized by the crowd that he just screams, just kill Whitey. And the entire crowd goes silent. (laughs) That's not this one, though. Gone too soon. (laughs) There's plenty of embarrassing moments for Chris Farley in this one, though. I do remember like a couple of the things that don't work for me, and I'm sure I'll identify more, which is when it goes, I know this is weird to say about like a a physical comedy forward Chris Farley movie, but there are some moments where there's literally like a trombone being like, (laughs) and it's like, oh man, you didn't need to do that. But almost like the movie almost gives up on that as it goes along, if I remember correctly. They start that at the beginning where they're like, we need to tell everyone that this is silly. And then by the uh-huh. end of the movie, they're like, I mean, they don't need music for that anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah. We don't need those musical cues. Yeah. Take a break, Leonard Bernstein, who I assume scored Tommy Boy. <laughs> this is actually Stravinsky in his last, <laughs> last work. Well, watch along with us. We're going to watch Tommy Boy. We'll be right back after this. Damon, uh, you're, yes. you're a 
Sorry, were... I didn't mean to be repulsed by you saying my name. <laughs> you were so disgusted by just the mere mention <laughs> of your given name. My Christian name. Your Christian name. You're a very talented salesperson. Sell me oh. on why people should support patreon.com slash your inner child's an idiot. Well, thank you for first showing up to the sales meeting. So thank you for that. I like the gloves. I like the gloves. This is pointless to do. This isn't anything for anyone's benefit but me. This weird, awkward using a napkin as a glove. <laughs> Down at Callahan, <laughs> Callahan podcast subscription parts. You know, we uh, put out a really cool product. And you know how when people talk quiet and then all of a sudden they start screaming at the top of their lungs? Okay, yeah. That's one of the things that we really excel at. And one of the reasons we excel at that is because of uh, movies like Tommy Boy, movies that we're able to watch through your contributions. You know, you can do that at patreon.com slash your child is an idiot. We're a family-run company. I lost my virginity to RT's daughter out there. So... (laughs) Rob, you were there. So, you know, it's a lot of great things. Really sort of losing steam now because I just feel like, you know, I've been talking too long. And as a marginalized person, I just feel a lot of pressure when that when that happens that I've been, you know, taking up too much space. Uh, I've been trained you saying you want me to be white, as quiet as possible. Yes. You want me, a straight white man, to interrupt you is what you're saying. <laughs> I broke a sweat. I really broke a sweat. If you want more audio flop sweat, patreon.com slash your an idiot. Today. <laughs> uh, it's a good filler for a song, a pop song, and it's great filler for, you know, an Empire rug commercial. Today. And of commercial. <laughs> and we are back. We just watched Ooh. Tommy Boy. Parentheses, 1995. In parentheses. It's weird they put that in the title, but I guess they just want people to know. (laughs) I got this one, Damon. Okay, I'm going to recap the movie (laughs) real quick. Yeah. Young Tommy Callahan, scion Mm -hmm. to Callahan Auto Parts Kingdom. He comes home. He's a college grad, just a shade over seven years later. And (laughs) he comes home to uh, work at the family business till he figures out what he's going to do next. His dad passes away. He has to get on the road to help sell the new brake pads because they overextended themselves with the new brake pad division. He gets out there on the road, but his dad's recently married uh, widow is that, that's that's. A weird I mean, it's way an accurate that. description of her. It's just not a phrasing you hear very often. It's her a weird way recently to say it. married widow. Yeah, <laughs> but she is actually trying to pull a fast one on him with mm, her widows. Her real, her real husband posing as her son, and mm. they sabotage. He's not Tom- dead, though. The real husband isn't the dead one. Tommy is, <laughs> he doesn't begin a gifted salesman, but he, he gets the hang of it over time yeah. through sabotage. His uh, new family, quote unquote, brings him down and they're going to have to sell the factory to Zelensky, the, played mm-hmm. by Dan Aykroyd. But then through the use of a fake bomb, Tommy pulls one over on him and gets Paul mm-hmm. arrested. And saves the factory and then becomes president for some reason of the company, not of the United States. <laughs> if Chris Farley had lived and thus Tommy Boy had lived along with him, yeah. probably Tommy Boy would be president. Tommy Callahan would be president. He wouldn't be my most hated president. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? 
I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't hate him. <laughs> In my mind, though, he was taking the place of Trump like he would have served Trump's term. Oh, no. Because he's much more charming than Trump. Like, that's the one thing he's got over Trump, is that right. he's got a boyish inclination. Uh, you know, he has a childlike wonder towards the world. He seems like deep down he's a sweet guy, you know, and that is yeah. not true of all of all presidents. <laughs> true. I'm keeping it super vague. You have no idea who I'm talking about. Millard Fillmore, I'm coming for uh, you. Well, I've, you're either talking about uh, three guesses. You're either talking about Nixon, Trump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or evil Obama, who had a brief stint in the Obama administration when Obama was sick and his goateed doppelganger took over. You don't Is remember that, that? I don't remember that happening. Yeah. Not a lot of people talk about it. I just remember the tan suit. Okay, so that was evil Obama. That was him. That's how you can spot him. I kind of forgot. I mean, if you had asked me, I might have even said this in the intro, but I kind of always forget when I do a full rewatch of this movie that it's a road trip movie. Because it begins, you know, you got to set up the road trip. But why is Odysseus on this journey? You got to set that up first. I love a good road trip movie. That's all I wanted Mm -hmm. to say. I also like a good road trip movie. I feel like it's kind of like, hey, put your feet up, screenwriter. This thing's going to just be sort of a choppy thing. And that's part of, you know, part of the structure is that you can just write it in episodic moments and you don't really have to sort of build on anything you just have to just keep coming up with these fun little bits you know how like making a through line and connecting themes and having consistent character development is hard what if you didn't have to do that (laughs) i never forget that this is a road trip movie okay i don't want to get into a big thing first but i found it very frustrating as a road trip movie and maybe that's why you forget that it is a road trip movie often because Like most road trip movies, and especially like road trip comedies, of course, sort of build on themselves. Things get worse and worse and worse. And it felt like this movie, aside from the car's degradation, it just felt like someone took all the scenes and just sort of shuffled them up. And it would be like, Mm. here's one scene that's absolutely insane. And it's at the beginning of the movie. And then we're going to have a scene later on that it's just, oh, David Spade's sort of picking on him, playing, pretending he's the housekeeping lady. Isn't that funny? It just felt like you would bounce from sort of really low stakes. Oh, I guess Chris Farley kind of embarrassed himself at a sales meeting to the hood flew up on their car, the scene earlier. And it was just, it felt very bungled. Like Mm. Christmas Vacation, they eventually end up, not Christmas Vacation, but original recipe vacation. You know, they eventually kill their aunt and then he takes a hostage at, Wally World. It feels like it amps up. And this one, there is a lot of that, including a faux hostage situation, but it doesn't feel like it builds on itself. It just feels like the stakes from scene to scene are all over the place. And it felt like it was very jarring to me. So you feel like when the computer orders are sabotaged and they all hope is lost and they actually, all the sales that they made <laughs> now no longer count. You think that should have come at the beginning of the story. Is that what you're saying? I guess I think of the road trip <laughs> elements, I think of, I guess, as the parts where they're on the road. And those are the parts where it doesn't seem to build on itself. It just sort of goes from big stakes moment. In fact, like, for example, I'm surprised yeah. how early the deer part comes in this movie. <laughs> because yeah. it's like the third thing they encounter. I'm like, oh, this happens... 
a lot earlier than I would expect it because I feel like that would be the ant dying in, you know, National Lampoon's Vacation. Like that would be like a really the final straw. end of second act thing where it's like, yeah. oh, this is really going off the rails now. And I was like, okay. And then it's followed by them kind of having semi-embarrassing sales meetings after that. I'm like, oh, no, these should be before the deer destroys the car, I feel like. It's just very odd. I don't think it's smooth. So, so don't let my defense... <laughs> let you think that but well remove your hand from my throat is what I, I one thing i would request <laughs> but i but i do disagree to a certain degree because it starts with you know the disaster is the physical damage to to richard's car <laughs> but also just the complete ineptitude of tommy to sell anything but then it becomes more, you know, as they succeed, it is like, you know, you get like it's an upward climb, but then it drops off and then they go to despair. So I don't know. I feel like it's more of a character driven climb up and there's ups and downs with it. But right. I feel like that part of it, this is not like really a realistic movie, but that part of it feels <laughs> realistic where you're like these people who don't really like each other. Well, one of them doesn't like the other <laughs> That's are like paired together. And then over time they kind of bond, they have these little fights and then they bond and then they have like a real big fight. And then they kind of figure it out. They apologize and they kind of move on. And then they kind of, I get, will say get, they actually don't apologize. Just I'm sorry is playing on the radio. It was, it's a very straight male movie in that no one actually vocalizes an apology. There's yeah. just a song that's supposed to tell me that they are sorry. <laughs> But go. I think actually, I think you are probably right in that. I think the emotional arc for Tommy, comma boy, is <laughs> there. But I maybe yeah. it's if they could just even excise the sort of big wacky moments yeah. from the road trip part, that would be a lot more clear. But I feel like those big wacky set pieces make me think it's a Blues Brothers style road trip movie. Yeah. But it distracts from... Oh, well, am I supposed to still be concerned about the sales after they just, you know, had this deer incident? After he just whacked his friend in the face with a two by four. <laughs> right. It's a little all over the place. And it may be, I think because of those elements, it makes me think it's more of a road movie than it actually is. Because you are right. There are genuine stakes with the Callahan auto yeah. sales and the computer fraud that Rob Lowe commits, forcing all their orders to get hither and thither, all messed up. It does seem like they had a joke quota or a bit quota. And I think that that makes sense. They're like, this is a comedy. Where's the jokes? You know, and you can hear some fucking SNL writer in the writer's room saying that, being like, I thought this was supposed to be funny. And it's like, look, we had one moment of sincerity. It does seem like those two parts of it are, are struggling a little. And honestly, the comedy wins out. And I think that's f usually for the better, although some of it is just a little bit broad. Right. I don't begrudge it broad comedy. Yeah. I think it's just the road trip part of it is just, I feel like it's a little disjointed. I'm maybe I'll less of a broad comedy person. And Chris Farley's charms lie in his vocalizations and yeah. various deliveries of things. Yeah. I did, was sort of surprised, and maybe it's because I'm a grumpy old man, that when you said joke quota, I was like, it felt like the joke quota was a little low. It felt like it was- Really? And then J Chris Farley's going to sort of say some stuff, and he'll say it in a very specific way, and that's going to count as a joke. But we're not actually going to write- I was actually surprised by David Spade, who I remembered as being sort of this quick-witted, snarky guy full of one-liners. I was kind of like, each one was- they all sort of felt half-improvised, where- like the running gag of Chris Farley not being able to come up with a comeback. And he's like, you're, Got you're that. the yeah. one with a head that has a shell on it. And 
all David Spade would say, when I kept expecting him to have some withering statement, yeah. he would just be like, what was that? And that was the joke. And I was like, oh, okay, that's all you're going to do is just say, what's that, buddy? Or something yeah. like that. It, it was odd. I buy that. And the also, like, if you take out the fat jokes, there's not <gasps> there's not much left. I have to say, now, I don't... <laughs> I don't condone fat phobia, and I think we've, as a society, moved on a little bit, but maybe not as much as we should. And I am certainly when I was the age when this came out, like I was guilty of of doing that and calling myself things and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But some of the fat jokes still landed for me, <laughs> and I'm I'm ashamed to say it. I don't think it's cool, but at the same time, what fat jokes worked for you? You want to just sort of list them out, or <sighs> no? I just want to say <laughs> I'm not proud of it. But some of them still made me laugh. It's, it's usually the ones I didn't remember. And a bad example, something that didn't make me laugh that I never really liked was like when he's like squeezing a mayo packet into his mouth and he's like, ugh, and actually hear you getting fatter. And it's like, okay, that's mm -hmm. that joke is not cool. The fat phobia is not cool. But also like that's disgusting. So like we <laughs> didn't have to do that. We could just say that that's what he's doing is gross and make a different joke. Most of them are delivered by David Spade. and. Yes. I mean, one of the, the the plot lines, it's not not there. I feel like it could have been punched up a little bit, but that Tommy has all the charm in the sales meetings, yeah. but Richard has all the knowledge, but no one likes Richard. Like all the buyers yeah. find Richard off-putting. Either he's too smart, which really rubbed me the wrong way. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm like, you know too much, and I don't right. like that, so I'm yeah. not going to buy from you. I'm like, you're not going to go buy from the guy who knows what he's talking about? Interesting yeah. tactic. But also, you know, he's also a snarky dick, and so he rubs people the wrong way from the get-go. I think that's usually, just to interrupt for a second, that is usually, as someone who has been called too smart for your own good, usually what that means is that you're going to get your ass kicked at some point because you're going to say something <laughs> kind of snarky. And to be fair, I think that I have been and will probably continue to be in danger of that in my life. <laughs> I have had many a close call in my life of almost having my ass kicked for being too smart. I feel like I've never received the word smart from a peer as a compliment. <laughs> it feels like it's always there's either begrudging, you know. You're so smart. You're so smart, so why don't you just fucking help me with this essay? Or <laughs> you want to take this outside? You want to make a sarcastic remark? So what I'm saying is I had a great childhood and I feel really <laughs> comfortable with myself. <laughs> it went super well. What I was trying to say, though, is a lot of those fat jokes come from David Spade and you can sort of fudge them into his character a little bit. Yeah, right. of course, David Spade's character would say, oh, I dick. can hear you getting fatter. He's a dick. Yeah. But then there's some that the movie like takes, these little pot shots the movie takes, and they're a little, like when the bench breaks under yeah. Chris Farley. It's just such a cheap pot shot. And it comes in the middle of act three. It's like, really, are we still devoting time to this mocking him? And I feel like there's a lot of that in the airplane bathroom yes. scene as well that that was basically like an SNL the implication sketch. is he's too fat to be in there yeah. oh yeah that was that was i mean the whole thing was like <laughs> i didn't understand why we needed to fly to chicago when we've been driving the whole movie all of a sudden this car is unacceptable to drive in despite it having been destroyed at the end of act one and seems to be fine they just but couldn't get there sudden, in time. We had to get, we had to do the Indiana Jones, knock a pilot out and steal his uniform and then pretend we're stewards on this flight for no other reason, just to you see these people pre 9-11 when you could bribe flight attendants <laughs> to take their <laughs> right. uniforms. 
That being said, I want to say something about the late yeah. Chris Farley. I cannot help but laugh when people talk quiet and then they are you. <laughs> it makes me laugh a lot. It makes my boyfriend laugh a lot. Even when he's not in the room that the movie is playing in, I hear him laughing. The scene where they've got a live one, they got someone on the line, they're in that sales meeting, and the guy's like, maybe. And they're like, oh, well, we'll keep talking up the, you know, the brake pads or whatever. And he gives that presentation with the guy's model cars that involve like, you're driving along, la, 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 And then there's a truck tire in the middle of the road and, oh God, I can't stop. It makes me laugh really hard. I may have had to pause the movie to and comes the wagon. myself. <laughs> <laughs> My God, the medic comes out of the, ah. And then later with the housekeeping joke, the oddly late housekeeping joke, also makes me laugh for the love of God. Anytime Chris Farley starts a statement with for the love of God, <laughs> I know I'm in for a real treat. You better pray to the God of skinny twerps that this wind doesn't pick up because I'm going to shove an oar up your ass. That's funny because he's yelling and he's yelling at children. Another one of my favorite comedy go-tos. Did you like Michelle's? Line I will make your mothers cry from what I'm going to do. I know where you live and I've also seen where jump. you sleep. I swear to everything, all your mothers will cry when they see what I've done to you. I did specifically <laughs> memorize that at one point. She does. This is another slur. We have a few slurs in this movie. She calls them spazoids, which is no right. Way. But so I cut that part just now quoting it. But she does say that we have to acknowledge that. But I did always like that line. What is her name? The actress that plays Michelle. Got the old Tommy boy here, pulling it up on the old screen arena. Julia Warner. I don't think Julia Warner, Warner is like particularly strong in this movie, but I did like that. I feel she's given very little to do. She doesn't have a lot to do. She's in charge of shipping at the factory, and that becomes a plot point when all the orders yeah. get messed up. And they have almost a fight. I wouldn't even round it up to a fight, Tommy and, and her. And then later she's sort of doing the Velma thing where she keeps spotting... Rob Lowe and Bo Derek canoodling yeah. in various places. And she just keeps turning her head. The camera just keeps catching her, turning her head to see things. Yeah, but that's about all she's given. That's her action sequence is yeah. turning her head quickly to catch something. She does seem uh, very over she's, yonder. The character is very sweet and she does seem to like Tommy and that's very nice. So you can see why she's charmed by him and you can see why he's into her. It's a, it's a nice little little pairing. She doesn't I get could have done with to do. Yeah, I could have done with a little bit more of her because she sort of comes out of the box liking Tommy, like the minute he walks into her office. Yeah, there's They're history there. They're friends from school. But yeah. I, I, as an audience member, I feel like that could have been, a, it was just sort of like, and here's the woman who's going to fall in love with someone's. It didn't feel like they actually bothered to build up a legitimate relationship. My one problem with Michelle, and this isn't the actress Julie Warner's fault, but they do have her flying from Sandusky to Cuyahoga Falls, which is about an hour and a half drive. And she's going through Columbus, which means it's definitely going to take longer than it would to drive. Why? That is not the flight you need to make. Also, like, where are the airports? Wouldn't they share an airport if they're an hour and a half away from each other? Like, why? I don't know about that, but it's also like, why didn't they just have her go flying somewhere else? <laughs> why did you have to do that? <laughs> Deranged. Anyway. So that she can be at the airport to see Bo Derek and Rob Lowe going to Chicago? I know, like have her flying to visit her. I know, she's supposed to be like going home and I think they probably like wrote themselves into corner by saying she's from Cuyahoga Falls at some point or something. I don't know. But it was like, listen, I'm not like big on 
Ohio geography, Continuity. but I'm from the area. So it's like when Neil deGrasse Tyson starts breaking down all the fake science and space movies. DJ, just let it go. Just let it go. She's got to fly into Cuyahoga Falls International Airport where <laughs> she's going to meet her dear mother. But she still went to school in Sandusky. She still went to high school in Sandusky. And uh, it was just an hour and a half drive for her every day from Cuyahoga Falls to Sandusky. It makes perfect sense. That's she would fly sick. every day. She would take a little, one of those little <laughs> biplanes in. I do want to say in a similar vein to Michelle, I also could have done, although I feel like they were very charming together, I could have had a few, like one or two more scenes with Brian Dennehy and Chris Farley. Because they do have a yeah. really good father-son dynamic. They're very yeah. charming in that straight guy way. And they have a really sweet moment right before the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. It also felt like almost like a Tyler Perry movie that he dies at the wedding. I'm like, okay, guys, this is a little too on the nose for my taste. <laughs> yeah, I, I buy that. Since we mentioned the slurs, we got they do. We get the R word, I believe, twice in this movie. Yeah, just, un, two just or unnecessary. Times. It was the '90s. We were still doing that then, but not necessary. And it does, especially now, takes you out of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Bo Derek is in this. She plays yes. the new. Mrs. Callahan. Yeah. She's introduced to Chris Farley, who apparently didn't know she existed at all. Like, was didn't he going to phone calls or letters in the 1800s? Like, when Ebenezer Scrooge is sent away to boarding school and his sister has to fetch him in the, in yeah. the flashbacks? Why wouldn't his father just call him and talk to him? You weren't home for Christmas just like a few months right, ago? Exactly. It's deranged. Yeah. So it's an entire surprise. And he is... Hey, like a golden retriever, he's so excited that for his father, which is sweet, and yeah. he's so excited at the prospect that he is going to have a brother mm. in that her son, quote, quote, is coming to visit. He immediately takes Rob Lowe, that son, out to go cow tipping, mm. which is a stupid scene, but it also involves Chris Farley talking quietly and then yelling, so probably gets it just over the line from me. <laughs> <laughs> he does when he's when he Rob Lowe has fallen down in the mud in that scene. He's like, "Let me help you, brother." And he's and Rob yeah. Lowe says, "Get away from me!" And he says, "I love you." <laughs> it's charming. Yeah, brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a brothers hug. He has brothers to get that uh, silent hug. <laughs> yeah, we deranged. say that a lot too. I still say that to people, honestly. So far, I'm really proud of myself that this whole thing isn't just turning into a quote roundup. <laughs> but I've got a lot of them in the chamber for later. Great. But we also Great. do that in that scene, do get the, hey, Chucko, that doesn't smell like mud. <laughs> Which is another one that I use. I also appreciated that uh, David Spade referred to Chris Farley as Baby Huey, a very deep animation cut yeah. that is pretty accurate honestly <laughs> baby huey was this big tall larger baby duck who yeah. had a good heart and would get himself into into trouble mm. um, that's very much chris farley very much tommy boy part of chris farley's charm is the physical acting not just pratfalls though he also does these really awkward movements like when he's saying hello to everyone in the factory he's waving like this he's He's like just jerking his arm. Hi, hello, how are you? Hi, how are you? And like, <laughs> he does that. And then he, at the very beginning of the movie where he's like running, but then he sees the ladies and he just goes, hi, how are you? He just, <laughs> I don't know, that's his phrase, I guess. It's just really good. And then another gesture I really like is 
when he's in the boardroom and they're just, he's deciding to go on this sales trip and he's like, I don't know anything about brake pads. And he goes, but he does. And he points with two fingers at. Yeah. He points with two <laughs> fingers and almost like he is digging. He's scooping a little bit. Yeah. Like it's not like a straight point. It's like a. Hmm? I can't he do it this whole body punching the microphone, it. but. <laughs> no, there is like an energy to him that always. It's like he's going to burst out of his skin at any moment. Yeah. Even when he's yelling at those kids, like he does this thing. It was very, it's probably more associated with Matt Foley now, but where he almost looks like he's going to crush their skulls. Like his arms get like really stiff, but they're bent and stiff at the shoulders. So they just sort of flap like really angry. And he has like the finger guns again. I like how I'm describing this. I'm showing you, but our listeners are like, well, I guess I'll just fucking look up the scene on YouTube then because I don't know what the fuck he's saying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, his, I mean, it's been said six trillion times that his physicality is like what really makes him stand out. Like he has this childlike energy. He has just him ordering coffee is, would be pretty hilarious. And I think he keeps this movie at the barest minimum, not head above water, but like nose above water. Like he keeps it just able to continue surviving. What do you think of the scam of Beverly and Paul's? Yeah, I wrote down like, I feel like maybe this is just my internet brain working. I feel like this scam would like immediately fall apart if you tried to pull (laughs) this on someone. It seems like she doesn't even like change her name. Does she? Yeah. It's like James Bond being an, a, like a super spy, but apparently James Bond is his name. That's like, just that's his, his name. given name. If you look at his birth certificate, it just says James Bond. Yeah. And then people like tried to give him out. We're like, that's a code name. And then the Fleming estate was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> and I think in <laughs> I what's trying the to one, help you out here, <laughs> whatever the Adele one, Skyfall, I think he goes to his family estate and it's like he sees his parents' grave. It says fucking Bond on it. It's deranged. Anyway, but but yeah, this, I feel like, and maybe I'm not giving the 90s enough credit or maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but it feels like this would be discovered almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, an older guy maybe could get taken out. You know, she's a very attractive trainer. Like she just doing the the Black Widow thing, not the Scarlett Johansson version, but like the classic thing. Or the Joan Cusack version. (laughs) Yeah. More like the Joan Cusack version, honestly. (laughs) Not as fun, but same vein. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. People fall for a lot of shit. So I don't know. In in real life, but it is not very smooth. And then also, but she also gets away with it. She has moved on to Zelensky at the end of the movie and Paul is taken off to jail. So after her boyfriend's balls have been crushed by some seat testing machinery. Oh, yeah, her husband's. Even though, I mean, she is just as culpable, if not more so. I mean, she married the man. She would be in charge of all his finances. But hey, whatever. I mean, she's also in on the scam. Like, that's very clear from the word go. So it should be an accomplice for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know whose physical comedy does not live up to the same standard? (laughs) And that is Rob Lowe, who gets a lot of physical comedy in this movie. And I'm generally pro Rob Lowe, especially... You know, later era. I liked his role in Parks and Rec a lot. I liked mm-hmm. The Grinder. I don't know if you ever watched The Grinder. I did watch The Grinder. It was very funny. Although it appears that Fred Savage was a, like it. was a monster on that set. So well, he gross. was a monster. And Rob Lowe also, I will mention, has some uh, statutory rape stuff. In his oh, past. does he? Oh no. Yeah. Sorry. Gross. I knew there was some. Wasn't there like a video or some scandal? There was in a the sex 80s tape. Or 90s? 
there was a sex tape that came out. I don't know if this is the same thing or if it's separate incidents, yeah. to quote Big Lebowski. But yeah, I think there is some. Wait, before I libel him real quick, let me just, before I put us in some legal jeopardy. <laughs> mm. You got slain. Uh, yes, right? the girl in the sex tape was 16. Oh. He was not aware of that at the time, he claims. Gross. Well, he is It's his baby face. That's the problem. He's pretty bad in this movie. I mean, Mr. Brat Pack himself. <laughs> I don't think like the physical comedy aspect is entirely his fault. He doesn't, no one's expecting him to be Chris Farley. It's just kind of a bunch of like, basically the whole movie, he's getting the shit kicked out of him by circumstance. And he's trying to cheat our hero. So like, as a moviegoer, we're supposed to be like, yay. But it is just kind of like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It, it would have, I think been better if he was a little bit more I don't know, menacing not not that he had to be like but just that he seemed like at any point he might win at the end it does seem like they they won but not really like there's no real menace to him at all there's more menace to beverly because she kind of puts on the the front like the whole time she like barely drops right. it rob lowe's barely even trying yeah. yeah i think my take on it is sort of the same like i wish he would seem more he does seem more threatening than her like he's introduced Punching the window to get a kid like to stop bit. bothering him. He throws some trash in milk a baby carton. bassinet. Like he's really portrayed as an he's asshole. He's drinking milk just straight up for one. But it feels like I think the physical comedy undercuts his menace to the point where that stuff almost is completely forgotten by the end of the movie. Yeah. It sort of treats him as like this punching bag for some reason, but also wants him to be like a kind of threatening villain. It sort of wily coyotes him several times. Yeah. Like he pees on an electric generator or something and, you know, electrocutes apparently his genitals. And then later on, he gets attacked by a dog. Trigger warning for those of us who have been attacked by a dog. And yeah, he's he's like bandaged up his for the rest. Shirt, and then his shirt, shirt gets stuck in a pneumatic the- tube, which just seemed like part of Rob Lowe's contract, honestly. He's yeah. like, and I get one shirtless scene. They're like, we decide what shirtless scene though. And he's like, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> that was my Rob Lowe, my flawless Rob Lowe impression. So perfect. Yeah, it seemed weird. It seemed almost like they were at it after the fact. He doesn't seem like a guy who would do his schemes himself, maybe, but it it just seems weird that they're sort of trying to have him be a villain while also treating him like a punching bag, like sort of a O.J. Simpson in the Naked Gun movies. Worst example ever, but the first that came to mind. You know what I mean? Like he just keeps getting thrown around and it, it sort of undercuts his menace. And I agree with you. I feel like Bo Derek who I'm not really honestly familiar with as an actress. I know she was in the movie 10, which is ham-handedly referenced in this movie. Right. But I feel like she could have been given a little bit more to do. And maybe that's just maybe the one of the running themes of this movie is like they hired these women and then didn't really give them shit to do. But I wish she could have gotten some more scheming, mustache twirling or whatever the female equivalent of mustache twirling would be. Yeah. I don't know if that would have done it for me just because I'm not, the biggest fan of her portrayal in this movie. Right. And Rob Willows either, honestly, but. Or maybe they used her to the extent, like maybe she's just not, you know, that she's there to be beautiful and she's not that great. And I didn't, I felt like she wasn't in this enough for me to actually like judge how good or bad she was. Yeah, there's that too. But yeah, it does kind of take away the whole menace, like you mentioned. What do you think about the dark elements of this? We were texting about this earlier that there's actually, because it's generally a pretty broad comedy, 
But there's a couple of references. <laughs> Tommy references wanting to jerk the steering wheel into a bridge embankment. He talks about, he says embankment, which I always thought. Yeah, that's I think what it he was. was combining embankment and abutment into <laughs> <Yeah>. embankment. <laughs> and he also wears a faux suicide bomber vest at some point of, yeah. of, of road flares. It's it was a different dark. time. <laughs> it's pretty dark. I mean, I guess this isn't really dark. This played for laughs when he. He just wants to find Zelensky, who's like disappeared somewhere in the building they walk into, and he goes to the bank. And he just said, listen up, this will just take a second. And the cops immediately drop to the floor and scoot their guns over. A a theme in this movie that cops might be useless. I did scream cowards. Uh, ACAP is is when when that came up. That led to one of my favorite quotes, which is when that cop then gives an interview. And he says, after he hit me many, many times on the head with the hammer, I had to give up my gun. I've got kids. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I at first I thought, oh, this is just a stupid like. Oh, I accidentally caused a bank robbery, but then it does sort of play into the finale yeah. where they need those news crews to trap Zelensky, the true villain of this movie. But yeah, there is the dark. I feel like this is part of Chris Farley to me is that there is a golden retriever energy mixed with a very like dark tinge to his comedy. And it sort of helps you like forget how dark he's actually being. Yeah. Like when he's screaming, oh my God, we're burning alive. Yeah. When he's doing that example for that auto parts reseller. <laughs> and then when he says, I want to, you know, basically saying he's had suicidal ideation about his failure to be able to f- save his father's company. There is like this dark tinge to it. Yeah. But honestly, that really makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think that in and of itself is a funny subject. I can see where people would be sensitive about it, but it, it is a dark kind of humor that I find funny. Also, this is not nearly as dark, but the masturbation jokes when he catches oh. Richard uh, masturbating. So that, that seems like kind of gross that there's like this. What I don't know what this it woman is doing. It saved the scene for me, though. It saved but, the entire scene yeah, for me. Yeah, it just, Maybe not the kinda, entire scene, but I was like yeah. really put off. And then I was like, oh, thank God Chris Farley was here. Yeah. So Rich, Richard sees a woman going to the hotel pool and she decides Very to Very National Lampoon's dip. vacation again. Yeah. Totally. And I think intentionally show. So, right. and then he catches them and then he just makes a bunch of masturbation jokes, which are all pretty funny. And then my favorite one is when he gets sinner at the end. of <laughs> Oh, I didn't even catch him saying that. I mean, the part that maybe because I'm laughing so hard at the line right before that, which is she could go out with one of the Yankees. And he says it with this like very Midwestern housewife like tone. Yeah. He's just so pleased with himself. It really made me. And it was a very like something your grandmother would say. Yeah. Like she could marry like a baseball player something she's so goes, beautiful that was under his breath after when they're like in bed and he like starts being like hey big day tomorrow and then he's like who's your favorite little rascal is it alfalfa or is it spanky and then he goes sinner <laughs> this is what i was gonna say before when i couldn't think of what fat joke made me laugh it's it's fat guy in a little coat that is still pretty funny to me and i don't know what to say about it it's just it's the song it's the interaction it's that richard doesn't want to laugh and he still has to laugh knowing behind the scenes that that is actually something that chris farley would do to make david Mm -hmm. spain laugh it felt like a that for me where it was like what is the joke here is the joke coming because i knew i remembered that from one of these movies one of these (laughs) farley spade movies and i remember people saying it in high school when i was out with the bros 
playing horse on the half court. But I kept waiting. I'm like, there must be something I'm forgetting about this song that makes it memorable and funny. And then he just kept saying fat guy in a little coat. And then he tears the jacket, which you expect that he would. And I don't know how he's surprised by it, because isn't that the whole premise of the thing? (laughs) I don't know if I had already known this or I just assumed and was like, that feels like a thing, that already formed thing that was from their actual life that they just sort of shoehorned in here. But it doesn't feel like an actual joke. It doesn't feel like funny. That being said, it is a good character beat for David Spade, who even if he's breaking character, his character is oddly close to his actual personality that I didn't notice at first, but that he actually laughs, which is a good moment for the two of them. These kids, they're good kids. They're good boys. How'd you feel about the soundtrack, bro? You got some rocking guitars. I mean, a lot of rocking guitars. (laughs) It felt like I was not at a frat party, but like, you know, when the frats would turn their music up real loud. Mm -hmm. on the quad and just like go out and play some ultimate frisbee that's what it felt like i didn't even reckon i was like are these i mean aside from the carpenters and then the songs they're all singing at the end are these songs outside of this movie or are they i mean a bunch of more it does feel like there was a lot of interstitial music as well there was like yeah like symphonic orchestral stuff and then you've got your i've uh, got notes about the soundtrack itself outside of like i mean the actual score of the movie which plays very much like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like yes. it's very wackadoo, I it would is. describe it as. I kind of liked it. It becomes a little bit more adventurous at the end. Like it, there's a couple of spots where I like it. And then at the end, I think it kind of works. But yeah, it's straight cheese. So like there's no denying that. But yeah, yeah. there's a couple of times where it feels kind of out of place. I did like the moments where I like I liked them singing to the Carpenters. I found that very charming. Yes. But otherwise, it felt, I know that Chris Farley really idolized uh, John Belushi. Yeah. And so it felt very Blues Brothers-y, sort of, I want that vibe in this movie, so do that. Get half of the Blues Brothers while you're at it to be in the movie. And what? The living one. (laughs) And what what do you mean by that? In what way? I don't know. Not that it was those big songs that are in Blues Brothers, but it had that vibe to me of Blues Brothers-ish music. Blues Brothers adjacent music. I got you. Do you feel like it's because there was a large guy and a skinny guy in a car together (laughs) (laughs) from SNL? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. (laughs) It ends in Chicago. That seems like part of it. The score. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if I have anything more to, uh, well, I know I do. I do have one more thing to say about the score. What it was playing, I was like, this feels very Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Honey, I Shrink the Kids. But also... There's that scene where he's taking out Rob Lowe before he realizes that Rob Lowe is a bastard. And he's like, let me tell you, if I had sent one picture of your mother to some of my friends back in college, she'd be the boner of the month. Which Tyler brought up a good point, which was, wouldn't they have the boners of the month? Would She she wouldn't be the boner of the month. She'd be the boner causer of the month. Mm. But then there is this like... Yeah, <laughs> and it's almost like they lost at prices, right? There's this weird like <laughs> trombone dun, sound, dun, dun, and I was like, "Oh, that seems <laughs> it seems weird to include it." And then it kept going, and I was like, "Oh, this is part of the song," but yeah. they chose a very weird time to start it, or they actively chose that yeah, song to start right then. Yeah. yeah, best bang for your buck. This song already has sad trombone. Just put it Just right after it a sad keep trombone moment. What do you think? About the Callahan Auto corporate structure. 
Because I know you have uh, thoughts. Seems, <laughs> it seems like I'm a businessman. Mm-hmm. Many business papers. If I were to create a flow chart of this business, I would just seem to be creating a tower. There doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be an actual sort of pyramid-like structure that you would have with most organizations, because it seems like the only, the sole salesman of this company that has 300 employees is the CEO and president of the company, which is yeah. Tommy Callahan Jr. May he rest in peace. Yeah, it seemed like, I was like, when they were like, well, the only thing we can do is send Tommy Boy and his little spindly friend to go save the company. I don't know why they were English. And that's the movie's fault. That's not on me. That was an accurate portrayal of how the (laughs) board talk. And I was like, there's literally no other salesman who can go out and sell, you know, auto parts to companies. I don't think they did this. They set this up well, because it does make you... Usually you don't think about it, but I, when you brought it up, I was like, yeah, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> I don't think it's completely unrealistic to have a, a family-run company where the CEO was the original scion of the great-grandfather or whatever that then passes it down and he's like, I'm the only one that can do this. And he like basically builds a shitty corporate structure and he's kind of built up because, you know, we see him through Tommy's eyes, but like he over- And we see ex- him actually closing deals. We yeah, see him he, with the bank initially, and even at his wedding, he closes a deal. Yeah, but that's so not what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, he's. I'm saying what we don't see is that he's not set this up well for the next step. For like, he's not ready to die. He doesn't. A well maintained corporate structure is there so that if one person gets removed, everything doesn't crumble like a house cards. And we get a little bit of that because he overextended the company taking out these loans that they couldn't afford because he had faith in his ability to sell it, which is kind of like bad business moves. The sad thing is, I mean, if he had just listened to the Notorious B.I.G.'s album a year earlier, he would have been ready to die. That was what the whole album was about. But he did. He was probably more into Irish jigs or whatever. (laughs) Sad. Sad. It is sad. When you close yourself off to media like that, it's sad. (laughs) But I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that's entirely unrealistic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I I think they, the movie, we always say this, so I will stick to my guns. Like, the movie did the bare minimum to be like, we just need to establish yada, yada, yada. that dad's a good, yeah. yes. a good salesman. I'm like, all right, that's enough for me you to hang it. my coat on. Fine. Yeah. It just seemed, it also sort of treaded into your least favorite thing, which is, this is the only, only plan that way. will work, is this most ludicrous plan. And we have weeks to come up with a second plan, but I guess... We just got to do this Tommy Boy on the road type deals. There are no other banks, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, apparently the bank sits on the board because they're literally at every meeting. So yeah, a lot of questions. Do you remember when you were in college, just getting ready to graduate and a question on your history final was... Who are the founders of the three of the founders of three randomly chosen founders? (laughs) What is the first name of one of them? That's the question. What is the first name of the least important but had the biggest signature one? (laughs) (laughs) I I got a little my little history nerd spidey sense went off. I'm like, what kind of fucking question is that? It was like, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, and blank Hancock did such and such in 1785. And I was like, what is the question? 
The most important thing in history to the Marquette history professor is, what are the first names of these people? <laughs> he writes down Herbie Hancock. Yuck, 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 yuck. It's very funny. Also, I mean, just in terms of, I'm always looking to save a buck. And my mm-hmm. question to you is, why is there that scene with him as a child in it? I don't know. I guess it was just to It's completely show unnecessary. It really is. Just to like show, you think they were just running short or something? I mean, did they think it was going to be, they didn't want to be in the shorts category at the Oscars, so they had to get it up to 75 minutes. It's weird because, so the movie opens with young Tommy Boy Boy. Boy Tommy Boy. And he <laughs> he comes down from his treehouse. He's, uh, it's time for school. Brief aside, this is also something that Hollywood does a lot where kids are doing things before they go to school, like things that will be involved. <laughs> I wasn't doing, sh- I was eating Fruit Loops and reading yeah. the back of the Fruit Loops box before right. school. Like, what do you mean? I'm not out in my treehouse. It's 7, 10 in the morning. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But we see him do various Tommy Boy-like things, such Runs as into the run wind. into a glass yeah. door and say, son of a, and then he uh, says, holy shnikes. And we see that he's a fuck up, but then it immediately fades into him and college Literally doing the same thing. And I feel like if you had just opened with this, it would have established the same same thing. thing, And you wouldn't have had to pay a child actor and possibly a tutor to get him through those three days of shooting just to get this thing that's pretty well established by Chris Farley as an actor. And that's not something that I would often say, but Chris Farley (laughs) manages it fine to establish that this guy's kind of a fuck up and maybe not, may not be an academic yeah, I don't know. The kid doesn't do anything. He has some like physical comedy, but he doesn't add any other layers. No, we don't go back to him. It's not like I thought yeah. for a minute that maybe we'd have a flashback scene to something important, but we don't even see like we hear his mother at some point who is dead when the main bulk of the story starts. Yeah. So we I thought, oh, maybe we'll Richard. see his relationship with his mother. We do see, is that Richard on the bike? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't put and He those says, you're to, Tommy, I didn't you're put pathetic. together. Both of the times I watched, I didn't piece that together. Oh, see, okay, what you missed was the little kid says, late again, Tommy, you're pathetic. And then he says, uh-huh. shut up, Richard, which uh-huh. becomes a theme throughout the movie. It's an insult. And he's driving a bike, shit. which is the GTX of kids. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you hold on to a bike, that cherry. I did, I mean, one more thing before your quote-a-thon things starts. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, two more things. The paintings of Brian Dennehy's lineage made me laugh. I love a good, good. you know, physical joke, prop comedy. They are all variations on Brian Dennehy, including his mother or aunt. Also painted, obviously, just like Brian Dennehy painted as a woman. Yeah. It's very funny. Well, not very funny. It's funny. I appreciate an attention to detail like that. And then there's also, I was reminded a little bit of Cher from Clueless in this, where I'm supposed to be rooting for this fuck up to eventually become president of his father's company that he just sort of falls ass backwards into. Yeah. And I have no confidence, even though he was able to sell that half million brake pads or whatever, that he will be able to hold on to this company and keep it afloat. I am not confident in in our Tommy boy. Let him be a salesman. I think he earned that right. But like- Yeah. Put any of those old fucks in charge, especially like the ones that like work side by side. Put Richard in charge. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it was hard for me to like take that bill. Whereas with Cher, and I think it's it's similar to Clueless in that 
Alicia Silverstone's performance in that sort of keeps me from my knee-jerk reaction, which is to hate her. And Chris Farley, maybe slightly less successfully, but prevents me from hating this guy who just seems like a complete fuck-up and spent seven years in college and he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll just get a job at my dad's factory. I'm like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> Didn't it seem like, though, that that seemed the buttoning up at the end was like super truncated. It was like maybe if they had cut that <laughs> that flashback at the beginning, they would have had time to do more than like, yes, I think uh, you saved the factory. All right, good job. We're out of here. Okay, yeah, good job. All right. <laughs> oh, you're under arrest. Okay, cool. Now the kiss. Oh, that was pathetic. Ah, okay. And then they like walk away and it was all like... <laughs> 30 seconds. Well, no, because I felt like the movie, I, I felt like the, then we have the uh, scene in the factory yard where he's like saying under his watch, this company is going to live forever or whatever. And then we get the boat scene again. Yeah. Both boats. Well, especially that last one, but both boat scenes. I'm like, ah, you couldn't, you couldn't pay uh, Brian Dennehy's daily uh, cost anymore. So you just sort of, I mean, I'd rather just have a scene of him and Brian Dennehy rather than this boat yeah. scene. More he's talking I you to meant no one because you wanted him to do like a Star Wars Force Ghost kind of thing, like and be like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually wanted a Jason Voorhees. He rises out of the lake and grabs Chris Farley down to the bottom. <laughs> oh goodness! All right, we can do your quote off. I only have literally one, so go. Well, we'll save. You want to save yours till the end? I probably will. No, you should go first because I don't want to take yours. Let me just blow my wad here. Okay. And that's, <laughs> and that's when the whores come in. It's completely <laughs> random, but I did appreciate that woman really holding a grudge on her husband visiting a sex worker at some point during yeah. a war. I kind of like her idea. And that's when the whores <laughs> come in. <laughs> and it's a very like mid-90s SNL joke. It's like something that would have been home in Billy Madison or on SNL yeah. during this time. It's like- Just have that- a crazy old lady say crazy things. Yeah. And that should do for character work, right? Sure, the kids cry when you tie a tiger to a tree and shoot it. That maybe I think that was Zelensky. That was uh, Dan Aykroyd's character. That was one of your laugh lines. <laughs> that was that made me laugh because it's so deranged. And I only have one more, and that's this is. I thought the David Spade hair joke was stupid, but when yeah. he says when Michelle rides up at the end of when they're right about to break into the Zelensky board meeting. When she rides up, David Spade goes, don't tell her about my hair. And Chris Farley, I think giving a nothing line something, he goes, let it go. Like, he's yeah. so, like <laughs> he doesn't care about his, <laughs> the fact that he wears a toupee, but he delivers it in a way that is. Yeah, Mwah. that's a good line. I could probably list this entire movie because I quote it so much. I quoted it so much in junior high. It was really my friends, Brad, my friend Josh as well. And I'm sure there were other pals that they would quote it but we quoted like almost every line so i'm gonna try to stick to the best one <laughs> just a shade under a decade too all right when he says <laughs> i graduated from college i had a kidney removed like, last uh, april his... but i still have the other one <laughs> wait what what was that one i had a kidney removed last april but i still have the other one <laughs> Just the randomness of that line. It's a very random line. I did like when, to the earlier line, when David Spade says, or when Chris Farley says, there's a lot of people who go to school for seven years. And David Spade says, yeah, they're called doctors. Yeah. I remember that as a kid. My fellow nerds and I were retired to the nerdery with our calculators. It was (laughs) uh, like a joke that Richard says that does not land, but I like it a lot. 
the whole scene where his dad's giving him his office, which is bullshit, but giving him his office and he, he loves the mini fridge. He's like, you can put six pack of soda in here. And then he just starts naming foods. And he's like, yeah, son, anything you want to keep cool. <laughs> he's going to be the president of the company one day. Sure. And thanks for choosing me, which is what Richard says when he is <laughs> put in charge of helping Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the livestock pavilion, cruise the 4-H babes, throw stuff off a bridge. <laughs> I just like listing throw stuff off a bridge as a thing to do. <laughs> oh, so they're at the wedding and Richard is videotaping and the same guy that had the kidney line says yeah. uh, something lascivious about Beverly and, and Richard goes, good Lord. <laughs> just like the way he says that. I also have used this when Big Tom is trying to get Tommy up on stage to to sing. And he's like, oh, I really don't think. Okay. Like, he obviously <laughs> wants to. There's They play that. There was a bit in SNL not long ago where they're like doing karaoke on an airplane. And I can't remember who it was. But they were like, give me a beat. And he's like, I don't think I. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> and he does it every time. And it makes me laugh. What'd you do? I do uh, still <laughs> use that. Door, yeah. Uh-huh. Look, Magellan. I do <laughs> like that. Calls him Magellan. Where's Moron? Moron's here. And then he points to him. This is one we used to quote a lot when he's like, not here so much or here, but right here. And he really does the line of where he got hit by the two by four. Yeah. I already said sinner, calling someone a sinner. Mm-hmm. Your firearms are useless against them when they pretend like they're being <laughs> oh, attacked I do by bees. With the bees, yeah. That that made me laugh. That made me laugh. Rob, you were there. I, I do like anything that you say that's out of left field and then you can point to someone who's there and say, you were there. <laughs> There's so many, so many more, but those are the ones that I wrote down. It's a quotable movie. Like I said, it was 85% of my dialogue that <laughs> the junior high at least. My non-situation specific dialogue was from this movie. <laughs> are you ready to go to the verdict? Yep. Let's go. Take our dinghy. Yeah. We're That's going to leave here. a mark. Says it twice. Well, gets it. Get recycling out of that. Gets recycling out of that? Go ahead. What's your verdict? Okay. So I was trying really hard not to, like, I don't want to just dig into a movie because we have a podcast about it, but like, I try to be, <laughs> like, this movie was very big for me and I still, right. it holds a very special place in my heart. I like think about my friends. And I can still quote most of it. Like, I basically didn't need to watch it. I can just quote it. But that's, I think- Most of those friends won't leave you if you don't like the movie. Some will. You're going to lose some if you don't like the movie. No, but what I'm saying is I'm trying to be as objective as I can. This movie still mostly works for me. I think it's a little bit choppy and it's not, it's not like a particularly well-made in the, like, as a movie, like the, a lot of the acting is, is pretty bad and like, it's- the story is is kind of all over the place, but I think the character beats work for me. I find it pretty funny. There's a lot of objectionable 90s era broad comedy stuff like, you know, using the R word, using the term spazoid and like all the fat phobia and like the jokes about it are there's a lot of fat jokes. Like that's probably the most egregious, like a lot like that's a big part of the source of comedy. But I think for me, there's enough other stuff in here that makes me laugh. And most of the stuff that makes me laugh isn't that I can't help but still love it. Your child's not an idiot. I love this movie. 
I think it's to say it's great <laughs> is not inaccurate. But I also if you were like this movie, you should not watch this. I was not a bully, but I could see bullies using this. You know what I mean? And like using all the fat jokes and like mm-hmm. doing some of the kind of meaner things to somebody and then being really put off by that for this movie. But I didn't have that experience and I loved it and I still love it. What about you? I was not bullied by Tommy Boy, but I will say I'm a little bit on the fence, but I think I'm going to tip into your inner child is an idiot. What? I feel like there is a lot of charming stuff in here, primarily Chris Farley, although I probably could listen to Dan Aykroyd's Chicago accent over and over <laughs> and over again. He's a lunatic. It's a very choppy sort of... It's great. But, and I feel like this is not uncommon. When you say like 90s comedy of this era, it feels very sort of like little half-baked, by which I mean yeah. the people who made it were half-baked. <laughs> it feels very sort of not thought through or just sort of like, we're going to coast on our charm type thing. And I feel like that was very much the, of the generation, this generation of SNL that was coming out, especially like after Mike Myers and Dana Carvey left SNL, like the rest of the output was very much I don't want to shit on Chris Farley. And I don't, th- I think he's actually the, the best part of this movie, but it feels sort of like half-assed. It's like fratty a little, you know? Yeah, like, it is a little yeah. fratty. So it may not be necessarily for me. Right. And not everything needs to be for me, but it, it does have that fratty vibe of just like, hey man, let's hang out and just make a road movie, man, about sales and auto parts. But really about friendship. There's a lot to like in this. And one thing we didn't really even talk about is I think it has a overall pretty respectful view towards blue collar workers and factory workers. And honestly has something to say about the ongoing crisis about how we are losing, you know, blue collar jobs. And there used to be a time in this country where you can make a living without a college degree and make a living working in a factory. And, you know, that can be a sort of community and it would uphold small towns. And then people like Zelensky would come in, buy it out and steal your name and fire all you fucks and then move all Bernie the you Sanders know, production, over here. <laughs> all the production down to Mexico. And it's oddly, I wouldn't say it's prescient. I mean, it was very much at the fore even in the mid-90s, but it is... This has been going on for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. We've been doing it since, as usual. Yeah, capitalism. Let's quote another 90s movie. (laughs) It is interesting to see a a sort of broad comedy like that at least touch on those themes. Mm -hmm. But I would still say, yeah, you're in a child's an idiot. There's a lot to quote in this movie, as you have pointed out, but... I don't think as a movie it necessarily works. As maybe a series of skits, it, I don't even know if it has a series of skits. It's not even a series really of skits that skitty. it works. I feel like as quotes, as a vehicle for quotes, it works. And a lot of those quotes are from Farley himself. But if you like it, I can't begrudge you that. I can see where one would like it. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> Email us, yourinnerchildsanidiot at gmail.com. Tell Damon why he's wrong. You can text us or leave us a voicemail, (laughs) 615-576-0525. We want to thank our patrons for supporting the show, including... Caroline Amberson. Hello, new patron. Dr. Uh, Malcolm's uh, heaving bosom. David Mort. I'll say quiet and then get loud. Oh, and then I go, shit on the cartouche! Is <laughs> I, that can't a close enough Farley We can't keep that up. Let's just get through this. Jonathan Day. <laughs> Jeremy Powlin. Lindsay Alice Halleck. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Larissa Maestro. 
Karen Curd. Heather Tuggle. Travis Vance. Demon's Australian accent. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. <sighs> Lindsay Schneikes. Nell. Oh, okay. The Hands of Fate. I know Lindsay, so I feel like I could stick that in there, but I don't I don't know. No, uh, she'd appreciate it. I don't think I have enough quotes to have more nicknames. Dan McIntyre. The elusive fan, Gromkin. Josh Frigo. Dramatically placed hot dog. Beth Sermont. His Honor the Mayor. Just Cuz. Scalphosaurus. Particle Man. T. Smith. The Zesty. And of course, Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to support like them, patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. We want to thank We Edit Podcasts for editing the show, weeditpodcast.com. If you had any podcast editing needs, I want to thank my friend Ross Weaver for the use of his song Top of Two for ad music. I mean to do that every episode, and I've done it like four times. So sorry, Russ, but <laughs> it's great. It's a great song. Damon's going to play... Uh. His favorite road trip song while we put the top down and hit a deer, but the deer is going to be fine. So don't worry about it. He's fine. He was just unconscious for seven hours or something. Yeah. Oh, nice. Come on, Eileen. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, uh, that's a good one. Don't sing that, because you have to pay for that. Oh, shit. Generic girls. There's some clarinetters in this song. You know it's kind of bluesy. Did you say clarinet? Yeah. I thought I heard some woodwinds in there. Because it's bluesy. Some clarinet is in this song, because it's kind of bluesy. Because it's blue. For the reason exclusive, <laughs> because it's bluesy. All right.